We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And in this series, what we're trying to understand is, if God were working in my life, what would that look like? What kind of things could I expect would begin coming out of my heart and out of my life? And the passage that that's really based upon is Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, you can turn to Galatians 5, verse 22. In Galatians 5, 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit... There it is. That's where we got the, the title of the series from. The fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of God working in my life, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And last time we kicked off this emphasis by starting with the first one. The fruit of the Spirit is first of all love. And we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is one of the best passages in the Bible in order to help us understand God's kind of love. And so just to kind of summarize some of the things that we learned last time, if you weren't here, you can just kind of jot these down. They'll be up on the screen for you to write down your notes. We saw that first of all, love is vital. It is absolutely essential. We cannot live a life worthy of living without having love being in the mix. We saw that love is patient. We saw that love is kind. We learned that love was not jealous. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not inappropriate. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we saw that uh, there was more than we could cover in one message. So tonight, we're going to pick up where we left off last time. The fruit of the Spirit is, first of all, love... We're going to talk about the second part of that. And tonight I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians 13, starting where we left off in verse 5 there. Actually, I'm just going to back up just so it kind of of flows and makes sense. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, Love is patient. Love is kind. And it is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant or proud. Love does not act unbecomingly or inappropriately. And then what we're picking up tonight... It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love, what an amazing statement, love never fails. Isn't that an incredible statement? But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues or languages, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, or prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And first of all, as we start there in verse 5, the Bible tells us that love is not self-seeking. Write that down. First of all, love is not self-seeking. It says actually in my version, the New American Standard Version, Love does not seek its own. Literally, it says, 
Love does not seek the things of itself. Love does not seek the things of its own. Now, we talked about last time that pride might be the root of all sin. But I think you could just about make the case for this one that we're talking about right now just as well as pride. Self could be the ultimate cause of all sin. In fact, it's very, it's very closely connected with pride. But God's Word here, though, tells us that love is not something. Love is not self-seeking. Some other translations that you can write down, love is not, these are just different ways of saying it, different ways of, of interpreting or actually translating the word that was written in the Greek language in English. I'm going to give you these because they give us some different nuances and maybe something will kind of stick better for you than some of the others. Love is not selfish. That one helps me, how about you? Yeah, because I use that terminology a lot. <laughs> because I, I, I are, <laughs> Okay. Love is not selfish. Love is not seeking its own benefit. Love is not focused on. It does not insist on or demand its own rights or its own way. That one kind of resonates with me too. I'm not sure why. Love does not insist or demand its own way. Have you ever dug your heels in and said, we're going to do it my way or the what? The highway? Okay. God's love, though, apparently is in it not for my interest, but for the interest of another. Yet if we're honest, much of our relationships are spent thinking about what I want. Is it not true? I mean, I don't even have to try to think about what I want and what I need. In fact, many people, when they get married, their marriage decision is based on... In fact, I was watching a TV show the other day, and they were talking about two people that uh, some, they were dating, and they were going to get together. And the guy said, you know what? She really meets my needs. I think he literally said, she really works for me. Like, <laughs> I hope she didn't see that. The, the guy gave the idea that he, he had a list of things, okay? And this is what I was looking for, okay? I was looking for this in a person, and I found it in her. So that, that kind of works for me. Now, what it ought to be when we're getting married, listen, young person, because this is totally against what we're taught or kind of how we're wired even, but, but certainly what we hear in our culture, what we ought to think about when we're connecting our lives together with someone else for the rest of our lives, we ought to be thinking, are we growing together and can we continue growing together for a lifetime? Okay? And, and to some extent, I ought to be thinking, can I see myself as God's servant Helping this person grow into the person that God created them to be. Did you hear that? Okay, so, so what I ought to be thinking is, can, are we growing together? Because can we grow together is probably no if we're not right now. Okay, so are we growing together? And can we continue to grow together? And can I see myself being the servant that God has put, the primary servant in this person's life for them to become what God wants them to be? If we were honest, though, we have to admit, without God working in my life, I am entirely selfish. Amen? 
And I'm not saying that with false humility. I mean, God help us, amen? My whole focus is what I think, what I want, what I like, what I need. I do not naturally think of other people over myself. Listen, this most certainly is. We came to church for God to help us think like He does, amen? Okay, this most certainly is one of the most distinguishing factors between what we call love and what God calls love. My love, until it is impacted by this amazing God, usually means what something or someone can do for me or to me. But God's love takes a different direction. God's love says, I make a conscious decision. I make a conscious choice to grant to someone... Listen, this is totally... I would not have come up with this on my own. Okay? And I don't think you would either. I make a decision to grant to someone else my unconditional commitment to the betterment of their life. Wow. I'd write that down because I don't know about you, but I've got I to sit down and think about that a little bit. How about you? That is so different than what I've been taught, what I've learned, how I'm wired. And if God is working in my life, the Bible says this is the direction. Now, is anybody striking this one perfect? No. Okay. No, we're not, not to say the least. We battle against it every day. But I love you will start to mean more like this than it does I'm into you or you work for me. By the way, to somebody who might be saying, well, Pastor Robbie, i got to be honest with you. Okay, I, I'm with you. Okay, this is what God says. But i got to tell you, I just don't see this happening. Okay, how could someone possibly live like this all the time? Well, number one, you can't. Right? Okay, what we have to realize as followers of Jesus is this is not the fruit of Robbie working real hard with God's help. And that's a a mistake that many Christians make. This is not Robbie working real hard and God really backs me up with His power. This is only possible through God working it through me. But more and more as I follow Him, as I grow in relationship with Him, Christ will work through me in this kind of a way. And I think it's best maybe if we understand it with this foundation. Because I I think the reason that we struggle with giving this level of unconditional commitment is because we just think to ourselves, okay, first of all, I I don't really kind of like it. I mean, it just sort of strikes me wrong, so I have to get over that, okay? But the next thing is, well, I have needs too, right? Okay, so what am I supposed to do? Just kind of, just do whatever this, am I supposed to be some kind of doormat and just do whatever this other person needs and never have my needs met? No, here's how it works. I say, God, I have needs too. I'm going to trust who to meet my needs. I'm going to trust God to meet my needs. Okay? Now, especially in the marriage relationship, I would think that primarily the person that God is going to work through is my spouse, right? Okay, so that's a fair 
uh, a reasonable expectation. But maybe you're in a situation right now where your marriage isn't as strong or there's some work that needs to be done. And so you're in a really good place to realize that, you know what? I was really maybe depending on my spouse too much. I was starting to think that it was him or her that was doing all this great stuff in my life. But what it's beginning to reveal to me is that it was God all along. And so what I can do is I can be released from being so dependent on this other person. And I can say, God, I thank you that you were the one doing it all along. And now I can put on a towel and I can just be your servant in this other person's life. And God, I'll trust you to meet my needs. You'll either begin to show them how they're supposed to be your servant in my life, or God, you'll work some other way to meet my needs. Now again, I'm not talking about being a doormat. I'm not talking about being an enabler of a very needy person. This is a very strong, conscious choice on your part to make the decision to think more of another person than you're thinking of yourself. The Bible tells us God's love is not self-seeking. But secondly, the Bible tells us that love is not easily angered. It actually says in my translation, love is not provoked. Now, we could say this again several different ways. This, this word comes from a word, and this image sort of kind of helped me. Love is not sharp. It's not cutting. It's not ready to strike like a snake that's coiled up. The Bible says that love is not like that. Listen, here's some other words. Here's some other things for you to think about. Maybe something kind of strikes you. Love is not quick-tempered. Love is not easily angered, as I put it. Love is not irritated. Love is not on edge. It doesn't have a short fuse. You picture a stick of dynamite, and you light it, and it's a short fuse, and boy, you got to get out of there, or it's gonna, there's going to be some damage, right? Okay? Love is not like that. I wouldn't be afraid that that's the way. This person who says they love me is going to act towards me. Now listen to this. I heard another very experienced pastor who's been in the ministry for decades who said that he believes this is one of the secret sins of many Christians. Anger. A bad temper. Listen, there are people in this room that you are letting God work in every other area of your life, aren't you? God's working in so many ways and you see His fruit working in your life. But you've got that short fuse. You've got that struggle with anger. Are you that person tonight? Like a bear, like a sleeping giant. I watched a TV show one time where it was back, it was set back during the times when they were uh, early settlers, settling this country. And there were some uh, people that were doing this job where they had to take some... Um, what was it, uh, like nitroglycerin? Okay, they were transporting some nitroglycerin in some vials in the back of this wagon. They were going over those old roads, okay? Okay, well, that's kind of the picture here. Okay, love is not like a wagon loaded with nitroglycerin going over bumpy roads. And you're just afraid if you hit the wrong bump, that baby's going to blow. And men probably very true that there's some ladies in this room who have a temper. But personally, I found that this is something that men especially struggle with. I wonder tonight, honestly, if I ask your kids, if you ask my kids, if I ask your employees, would they say, 
boy, there's some times where you don't get near him or he's going to blow. Is this a bigger issue? Is it more a definer of your life than maybe you're giving it credit for? Now, you know what some people say? Hey, listen, it's just my personality. You know what? Everybody's got problems. Everybody's got faults. Everybody's got foibles and and shortcomings. I just kind of lean towards I've got a little bit of a temper. No, don't make excuses for sin. If you're angry and you're taking that out on other people, listen, friend, God's just not trying to nail you. God's not trying to shame you. He's trying to help you. He's trying to, because the Bible says God, man's anger does not produce anything good. Okay? So tonight, God's doing us a favor. He's saying, listen, this is dangerous. This is destructive. It's going to hurt your life. And by the way, if you are struggling with this, there is a reason. I would just encourage you to deal with that reason. Go to Celebrate Recovery. Be in an accountability group. Meet with your pastor. Go to counseling but don't take it out on everyone else. Let it be an indicator to you that something is not right. It's probably a control issue many times, the reason we're angry. What is it? Why do I have to be in control? Why do I have to be in charge? Why is it when things don't go my way, I have to let everybody know about it? What is going on? Love's not like that, though. It's not quick-tempered. It's not on edge. It's not making you afraid to nudge it. It, It's... it guards against the temptation. And don't we all struggle with it sometimes? Aren't there certain times in your life? Maybe it's the end of the month when the bills and the checks don't quite match up. Aren't there times when we're a little more on edge? And we need to mark those times and just say, God, help me to be careful that I will not be so easily roused by conditions around me. Number three, love does not keep a record of wrongs. In the New American Standard, it says, love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Have you ever had somebody in your life that every time you have some kind of disagreement or something comes up or some kind of problem, man, it's just like pull out the chest, open it up, and we're going to recycle and we're going to rehash everything that's ever happened in our relationship. And you're going to hear about it one more time. Friend, if that's you, and some of us struggle with that, don't we? If that's you tonight, would you just be honest with the Lord? Would you just, say, would you just recognize tonight, if God is working in my life, He's not pleased with that. That's not something He's doing. That's not something He's producing. That's not something He's leading me to do. And it should bother me. The phrase that's used here is literally translated, love does not record or count any evil. Now, some of the older translations say love does not reckon or love does not take into account any evil. Now, I kind of like to bring in that older translation for this reason. It kind of highlights the banking aspect of it because you need to realize you ought to have a picture in your mind. And I remember hearing a pastor share about this years ago and it really just helped me. The Bible says love does not take into account a wrong suffered. You ought to have this image because this is exactly what's being, put, uh, being uh, brought out here in this passage. It's like taking out a ledger book and you're going to write one more debit. And there's another debit. 
And there's another debit. And every time something goes wrong, let's pull out the book. And let's talk about... I've recorded them. I've counted them. That's literally what the Word talks about here. I've kept up. I've marked them down. By the way, a couple of not-so-good translations here. The New King James. The King James says, Love thinks no evil. That's actually kind of not the best image of what's being expressed here. Because if you just read that, you wouldn't get that counting kind of an idea. The Amplified Bible says this. It says, Love pays no attention to a suffered wrong. I don't think that's exactly what's being expressed here. Because it's not that love ignores... Wrong, right? We're going to find out here in just a minute. Love deals with truth. Love deals with reality. And so I think that translation is a little bit unfortunate. It's not that love pays no attention to a suffered wrong, but what it's saying here is love is not keeping score. That's really what it's talking about. It doesn't keep a list. It's not, listen, this is our word. Are you ready for a ouch? Love does not hold a grudge. Isn't that exactly what we're talking about here? Love is not saying something happened way back there and I'm still keeping up with it. Does that sound like you tonight? Do you have a logbook? Maybe not literally. I sure hope, man, you got it bad if you actually got a book and you write it down. Okay. (laughs) But maybe not literally, hopefully, but in your mind. And are you, are you holding on to things for years? Have you known people that held on to things for decades? Maybe somebody in your family. If something happened when they were a teenager and now they're in their 50s and their 60s and they still have not, what? Let it go. Kate mentioned our series on forgiveness that we did last fall. We talked about that, didn't we? And forgiveness. One of the ideas of forgiveness is to lose something, to let it go. And listen, listen to what one person said about this. Friend, listen, God is giving us a favor by showing this to us. If we do not learn how to let things go, how to forgive, how to lose debts, if we do not learn how to not record and count wrongs suffered, We will never have long-term relationships. It's why many people go from church to church to church. Because you know what? There's a honeymoon period, and everybody's sweet, and everybody's nice, and all this stuff, and I love the Lord, and you do too, but then we get to know each other, and I don't know if I love you. And so, I'm going somewhere else. It's why many people go from marriage to marriage. Because they cannot let it go. It's why many people never have enduring, deep, meaningful friendships with other people. Friends, it is impossible to have long-lasting relationships with other people unless you're willing to say, you're a knucklehead, but I'm still with you. Maybe don't tell them that. Maybe just say it here. (laughs) The Bible says love does not record wrongs ever. Number four, love gets excited about good things, not about bad things. Now, the people to whom the Apostle Paul was writing, these were people 
who were supposed to be followers of Jesus, and many of them were. Okay, But if you read the book of 1 Corinthians, you're going to find that these were people that considered themselves to be very spiritual. They considered themselves to be very mature, very strong Christians. But unfortunately, they had some things kind of sideways sometimes. You get the impression that the Corinthians... Now listen, is it possible that there are people in church who are actually glad to see someone else mess up? Somebody be that mean and be in God's family? Sometimes the Corinthians were glad they had something juicy to talk about. They were looking for that kind of stuff. They were looking for that, apparently, more than they were looking for how God was at work in people's lives. Friends, love is never happy about wrong being done And it's always excited about right being done. Now, I think most of us would say, Pastor Robbie, I'd never be happy about something wrong happening. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? I mean, if if anybody had to stand on the stage tonight and admit, you know, I was glad when somebody got what was coming to them. You know, we'd say, that sounds terrible. I I don't want to say that. How many of us, though, though we know it's wrong, how many of us enjoy a little gossip? Isn't that the word that we're talking about? That, that sometimes we like to sort of, sort of feed off of. If somebody's maybe doing something that they shouldn't, and did you know, or did you hear, or even some Christians, be sure to pray for so-and-so, because that's just the guys for passing on some good information. We should always be nervous about talking about other people. Mark that down in your mind. Engrave it in your mind. We should always be nervous about talking concerning other people. Unless it's absolutely necessary. That's the whole of the message. There's a lot that goes into this. Unless it's absolutely necessary, which is usually not the case, And unless it's helpful for them or for for maybe other people related, which again is usually not the case. And we should be looking for and excited about things even when we're in a difficult situation or listen, even when it's not necessarily in our favor. Did you hear that? I want you to miss that one, okay? We should be excited about right happening even though sometimes it's not necessarily to our favor. This verse tells us that love does not rejoice. It's not glad about unrighteousness. And let me give you a couple of, of, uh, of examples of maybe what this could be talking about. This could be speaking about someone who, in general, just enjoys sin. Okay, In several spots in the Bible, the Bible clearly demonstrates for us the, the, the spiral of sin. Okay, Write down Romans chapter 1. The Bible just, there's several passages that just talks about that sin just keeps taking us down and down and down. It gets dirtier, it gets messier, it brings more death, more destruction. Now listen, friend, if you're a follower of Jesus, while we, it is possible for us to get off track for a season, right? I did for a long time in my life. Okay, it is possible for that to happen. But ultimately... A follower of Jesus 
cannot continue to spiral down in that situation. It could be speaking of someone who's enjoying some specific sin. It amazes me that two people who say they love God and they love each other can be okay with living together or premarital sex or homosexual or other immoral behavior. God's love would not be able to do that to God or to the other person. You say, Pastor Robbie, we made a mistake or we didn't know. Okay, we make mistakes, right? Or we didn't know and now we know, but now I do know. Make it right and move forward. Love would not be happy about wrong happening even to its enemies. That's a tough one, isn't it? Let's say someone got what was coming to them. That may be true, but I need to just kind of leave that to God. Right? Okay, I don't know how to handle that in a good way. I just say, God, you know what? I just have to leave that person to you. I kind of actually, in a big picture way, hope they don't get what's coming to them because I wouldn't want anybody to truly receive the judgment of God in their life. Amen? Okay, But, but in terms of if somebody did you wrong and the Bible says vengeance is mine, I will repay, God's going to take care of it. So I just kind of have to say, I don't know how to deal with that rightly, but I sure shouldn't be happy about it. I sure shouldn't be celebrating something kind of you know, goes wrong for my enemy. I just don't, I don't know how to handle that in a righteous way. Love would be nervous about that. But on the other hand, love does rejoice in the truth. I think this is kind of cool. Listen, if God is working in your life, you're going to have a hunger to pursue truth. Anybody agree with me? Anybody hungry tonight? I just want to know. Amen? I just want to know the Lord. I mean, the more I get to know Him... The, the better he is. Unlike anything else in my life. Even things that I enjoy and that are fun, many times it's just like, you know, it's just not as fun as I thought it was going to be. But you know what? The Lord is always as good and better as I thought. And I want to know him. And I want to know how he's put things together in this world and, and how it's supposed to work right and how people's lives can be set free and all those things. Amen? Love has a desire to pursue the truth wherever it leads. So that means love would not ignore sin. Love would want to find out, okay, what's pleasing to God, and let's do that. Love would not block the pursuit of truth. Again, love wants to find the truth and deal with it. Now, let's just make some application here. If you're, maybe you're struggling in your marriage, okay? I've heard spouses say, you know, I will go to counseling, but she refuses to. Or I will go to counseling, but he refuses to. That doesn't make sense. Because love ought to say, I will do whatever it takes. I can't control their decision, but my decision is I will do whatever it takes to get to the bottom of the problem and to find God's solution. Friend, it's tough, isn't it? Isn't it tough sometimes? Okay, so these aren't easy answers, but I'm just, I'm just trying to encourage you from God's Word. Love would say, no, I'm not blocking. I want to find the answers. Love is glad to see other people do right even if it's somebody that you don't necessarily like or agree with. It just kind of just amazes me when you hear um, political talk shows, Republican, Democrat kind of stuff. You know, even when someone on the other side does something good, there's a refusal to acknowledge it. 
I mean, when somebody does right, we have to say, you know what? I, I tend to disagree with this person a lot. But I've got to be honest with you. They did a good job on this one. They, they stood up, they did the right thing, and I commend them for that. That's what love wants to lean towards. It's glad about truth being done. It wants to admit it, to recognize it, to celebrate it. Love gets excited about good things, not about bad things. Number five, love conquers all. Verses 7 through 13. Boy, this is just kind of a crescendo that builds here at the end of these verses. And I'm just going to give you several words that are used here. It says, love bears all things. And actually, we're going to, we're going to translate this protects, okay, or covers all things. Because uh, many translations translate it bears or endures, but endures would kind of be redundant with the, with the last one at the end of that sentence. So many Bible teachers believe the, the idea that's being expressed here is love protects, love covers. Don't miss this. Love is seeking to protect the other person. Not to expose them or make them look silly or to shame them either publicly or privately. That's a big one. Love's not comfortable with making fun of your spouse or your kids in public. But I would say in private. I mean, love would not be comfortable with putting them on the spot or, or making them uh, feel, uh, you know, uh, criticized or, or pointed at in some way. Love, someone says, throws a cloak over another person. Even a cloak of silence privately over what is personally, in your opinion, displeasing in that other person. And what, what are we talking about here? It's the word overlook. Okay? If you're married, if you have kids, if you have close relationships with other people... You're going to have to learn, I'm going to have to learn to what? Overlook some things. That's what love does. Now, that doesn't mean you cover up in the sense of hiding moral or ethical or legal wrongdoing, but it does seem to mean that we're to put up with some of the faults in other people that we love. Love believes all things. It doesn't mean gullible. It may appear to sound like that at first, doesn't it? Love's not gullible in that sense. But it, it does mean love's not suspicious. You ever met anybody that's just always suspicious of the other person? Who are you going to see? Why, why did it take you so long? You know, let me see your cell phone. I want to check your email. Okay? Love's not cynical. Love's not looking for wrong, but it's believing the best. Friends, I want to tell you what. There is, this is something I've learned in relationships. I've learned it. As a husband, I've learned it as a dad. I've learned it as a pastor. In every relationship, love gives benefit of the doubt. I'm going to tell you what. If you are in the corner of an alley, the police helicopter has the light on you. They're calling out your name. And I'm standing there watching it. I'm thinking to myself, there's got to be a good explanation. <laughs> I know he didn't do it. Amen? Now, again, I'm not saying be gullible. But there is something very powerful about that. Even when you're wrong, there's something very powerful and redemptive about that kind of a love. If you expect wrong, you probably get it. Especially if you're a parent here tonight. 
If you're always questioning your kids, if you're always expecting them to do wrong, guess what? You're probably going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's going to happen. Love hopes all things. This points to the optimism, the future, the forward thinking of love. Love is realistic about the current situation. We've already talked about that. But listen, love sees hope for a better future. In fact, I believe, friends, as this world gets worse, and it's going to, as this world gets worse, this is going to be one of the things that sticks out about Christians. That in the middle of the mess, how do you still have hope? It might look bad. It might be bad right now. For me, it might be bad for us. It might be bad in the world. But I can't help it. Jeremiah 29, 11 says he's given me a future and a hope and I can't help it. I got something to look forward to. Amen? Love has hope. And that kind of an attitude spills over into relationships. Listen, friend, if you're going through a tough time in a relationship, hope, love hopes all things, doesn't say you're saying in your eyes, you're saying in your attitude, in your actions, in your words, you're, say, you're not saying, I'm not sure this is going to work out. You're saying, I have great confidence in God. And if we keep our eyes on Him, there is great hope that this is going to be reconciled and actually, is it even possible, could be better than ever before. I love that. I've seen some really godly people in my life who had that kind of hope. They want, you, want, you want them to rub off on you, amen? Love endures all things. It speaks of perseverance, tenacity, resilience, stick to itness. Listen, love is not going anywhere. No matter what. Friends, it breaks my heart. I see so many marriages. <clears throat> there's this wonderful person over here. And there's this wonderful person over here. And for whatever reason, I can see they're wonderful. I can see they're wonderful, but they can't see that they're wonderful right now. But listen, listen, please, please. If we just had a commitment that I am with you no matter what. Okay, so, so I'm not going anywhere. I mean, there's no timetable. There's no, you know, it's just, it's got to work out. Okay, now I can't control their decisions ultimately, right? But if we both decided, no matter what, I believe many, if not most, if not all those marriages could be brought back together. If we just say, listen, because many of us complicate things by bringing another person in or by giving up hope or whatever we might do, we complicate it. We, we, make it, we bring other things between us, but the Bible says love endures all things. Not even about marriages, though. What about our church family? Y'all say y'all love me. And I say I love you. Can we count on each other? I guarantee you right now it's going to get hard. I guarantee you. Sometime, someway, it's going to get hard. Can I count on you? I hope you can count on me. Love, I'm with you. I'm with, unless God moves me, unless God moves you, Sometimes He does that, although I think we blame God a lot of times when it's us. Sometimes God does move us. But unless He moves me, unless He moves you, no matter what. That's what love does. And finally, love never fails. Wow. I remember being a young man and not knowing how life was supposed to work. 
kind of had my world rocked when I was about 17, 18 years old, and just having a lot of questions and not a lot of answers. And I remember just looking and just saying, how can you know? How can you know that this direction or that direction or that direction is the right way to go? How can you know? If you just want to do right, you want to live right, you're going to stand at the end of the day, you're going to do right, you're going to live right, you're going to you know, do the things you're supposed to do in your life. How can you know that you're not going to get decimated by life? The Bible says love never fails. If you take what we've learned together and put that into practice, it may not work out right now, but the Bible says at the end, love is going to rise out of the dust. You know what's cool as I was studying this? We don't have time to dig into it. But what the Bible says here is a lot of what we have right now, even this, our spiritual understanding, is temporal, isn't it? It's partial. Do you might remember that place in the Chronicles of Narnia where they've been in the first, the, the first movie where they've been in Narnia for so long that they've grown up and they're riding the horses and they find the lampstand and the lampstand has the vines growing around and they say, huh, that seems like a dream. That seems like a dream of a dream. It seems like so long ago. Okay, it just gave me a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. We have an existence one day that we don't even know what it tastes like. Now watch this. And there will be a lot in that existence that will be a lot different than this one, praise the Lord. But here's something that you can pick up in this life and say, I'm going to take over with me into that existence. It says, at the end of the day, there will still be love. And actually, it will be the greatest thing of all. Isn't that cool? So that sounds like something I need to grab hold of while I'm traveling on this journey, amen? Are you like me? I'm saying, God, you know what? I want to be like that, but I ain't. I'm not. I'm seeing a little bit of fruit, but I need to see some growth. Would you agree with me tonight? Would you be willing to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm on the path, but I need to keep growing. Maybe that's what you need to say to Him tonight. You know what? Maybe, maybe there's something very specific. You don't need a general, I need to keep growing. You, no, i got an anger problem. I've got a commitment problem. Whatever it might be, and God, you put your finger on it, and Lord, I need you to help me with this thing right here. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. And just like Tony and just like Caitlin, you would say, I want to follow this God that y'all have been worshiping tonight, that you've been talking. I've never found anyone like him. I agree. Amen. Millions of people around the world would agree with you. He's changed their life. And He will change yours if you will trust Him. Tonight, would you call upon Him and just say, yeah, just a very simple prayer. You could even say it right now. You could just say, Dear Jesus, I believe. I trust in You. I give my life to You. I want to follow You. I ask You to forgive me, to come into my life, to save me, to wash my sins away. Help me to live this life that Your Word is describing. Heavenly Father, thank You for speaking to us in Your Word tonight. Lord, it's overwhelming because it's too much. So give it to us in bite-sized segments tonight. Whatever somebody needs to take away tonight, not a whole lifetime's worth, just tonight, help them, I pray, in Jesus' name.
Amen.